Hey, John, this was really a spectacular uh, podcast talking to Andrew Hines. Flew by. Flew by. This guy's top speed's been 199.55 uh, miles per hour on a motorcycle. He, he has to spray adhesive on his seat. Just so I love that part. That was so cool. So how fast have you ever gone on a motorcycle? Probably, what, 48 no, no. miles an hour? Probably, probably like 120, I think, is the fastest. But oh. that is ridiculous. But if you have to spray adhesive on your seat of your motorcycle, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. Mark, uh, today Andrew Hines is joining us. I am super excited. Uh, I didn't want to say it, but I am a little nervous. He is a five-time NHRA champion. Welcome, Andrew. How are you? Thank you, guys. Doing good. How welcome, you? welcome, Andrew. I'm super excited as well. Any time that I get a chance to talk to somebody that's done 200 miles an hour on a motorcycle, I mean, that is like, how it's much false. better does it get? I mean, honest to God. So, Andrew, we don't want to waste any time. I know you're a super busy guy. It was not easy to, to uh, get you on behind the bar, so I want to move quick on this because I know you are busy. Um, and Mark will hijack a lot of the discussion yep. if I don't take it over here. But true, Andrew, just a real brief background. How did you even get into? Uh, we know the story, but for our listeners out there that don't know how you got into racing, because I think that's kind of the interesting piece that knowing a little bit about you. Tell us how you got into racing. Well, fortunately enough, uh, I grew up as a as a drag race kid. You know, running around the racetracks. Uh, my father's Byron Hines and uh, his partner Terry Vance. Found Vance and Hines back in uh, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, and really all I ever knew was going to the racetrack and working with my father and, uh, you know, going to the race shop on weekends and doing what I could to help them around the shop, and it just uh, it was a natural progression to move into drag racing as my career. Um, when I when I uh, was going through high school and stuff, you know, I had different ambitions. I wanted to go to, to college for some different stuff, and just none of that really panned out, and uh, drag racing was right there in my face. I was able uh, to, to work through the ranks of the shop and, you know, from sweeping floors just like everybody else did, working in shipping department, uh, doing what I could to help out Vance and Hines, and then uh, my dad bought me a chassis for a pro-stock motorcycle and said, if you really want to do this, let's, let's test your metal and, and uh, fabricate this motorcycle from the ground up and, and turn it from a just a rolling chassis, or not even a rolling chassis, it was just sitting there and, as welded together too, and uh, take it all the way up to a full race bike, so... That is so he cool. told me very early on that uh, he had to work, know how to work on every aspect of it. So I was, I was uh, tinkering on my own engines from the very start and uh, welding and fabricating carbon fiber parts and doing whatever I could to get out there and, uh, and understand every aspect of the motorcycle. So in your brother, right, Matt, is a three-time, three-time champion? Correct, yeah. So uh, you know, I, I went to the races with my brother for a majority of his career whenever uh, my schooling didn't get in the way. And... I uh, watched him probably make nearly a thousand runs, so uh, when it was time for my turn, I had it kind of burned into my head on what to expect without actually feeling those G-forces, um, but you know, I, I made so many mental runs watching him go down the track and, and just being around the sport for so long that it was uh, almost like a second nature thing. I, I kicked off my career fairly easily and didn't have too many hiccups or... Uh, uh, too many problems, you know. That's that's why they put the throttle on the bike and a clutch lever because if things going wrong, you got two ways two ways to bail out there. <laughs> so so Andrew, so your your brother three time, your five time. What what? Did, and your brother's he's your crew chief, right? Yeah, yeah. Matt's been on the team for 
uh, since we debuted the Harley deal back in 2002. So wow, okay. I've been instrumental in making sure that uh, we get these things going fast. And uh, I've kind of taken over my own tuning duties here as of late and made sure that uh, we're, we're progressing forward. Matt's working back at the shop mostly now to make sure that our R&D effort does not stop when we're out, out the racetrack. So it's so, a great group effort all around. Andrew, I read an article some time ago that, that referenced – um, your analysis on runs, your runs, competitor runs. T- talk to me about that. How do you how do you analyze a run that's going to? I mean, it's split second stuff. So I mean, I can understand a, a the analogy of analyzing baseball or strategy when it involves that. But how do you analyze a run so that it benefits you? Because clearly you're doing you know you, you know you're you're racing uh, a, a teammate. You know Eddie, and Eddie is you're beating him consistently. You know in the in the finals, but and he knows a lot about what you do. So how, how, what do you analyze? What are you doing? Uh, it's just it's just constant awareness. Um, you know, going down the track in each gear, you know, we're picking apart each gear by the tenth of a second, basically. You know, mentally going down the track, and then when we come back from a run, we'll we'll download all the data, see what the information is telling us, and you got to pick apart each part that gear uh, to make sure it's it's the engine's running to its optimum potential in each part of that 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 racetrack so uh, as far as analyzing the competitors and stuff we do the same deal we, we try to watch most of their runs because then you know when it, we go race to race and ultimately you're racing against people in the other lanes so you're trying to see where they are what kind of ETs and speeds they're running but then you have to analyze their run without looking at their data and say okay they didn't leave the starting line good or they did and if they went straight or they didn't, and you've got to think about how much potential they might have thrown away on ET or speed. And then we judge our runs based upon that, and we try to figure out at every incremental down the racetrack, whether it's 60 foot or 330 foot or 8 mile or half track speed, where we can improve to be that little bit better. And sometimes it might just be a couple thousand followers down the racetrack, but that might add up to a wheel at the finish line. So, you know, Eddie and I do the same thing back at the trailer. We're both uh, constantly downloading information out of each other's heads and saying, okay, let's not pay attention to this gear because I was going hard left in fourth gear, but fifth gear I was going nice and straight. We can concentrate on that setup, that gear, and say, tune-up was good here. What can we apply to the rest of the run? And we do that back and forth from bike to bike. And we're starting to get Angel worked into that program where she's starting to give us better feedback and we're starting to make the proper changes that she needs to go down the racetrack as well. Right, So, but I I guess... So you get this data that says, you know, disregard when you were kind of pulling left and, you you know, I understand that. But with split seconds, um, how are you, how are, how is your mind able to adjust? You're out there on the track and you know, so, so is, when you say you're making an adjustment, I mean, are you based on the data, are you out there knowing you've got a, before you shift, you're going to hold longer. You know, it just it seems very uh, like a whole nother world to to me at least. It is. Uh, you know, we we've made thousands and thousands of runs on these motorcycles. Um, I think we're we were at trying to add it up in Denver a few events ago. Just stuff talking with Jack Beckman, and we're just trying to compare how many runs we've made between him and a funny car and me on a pro stock motorcycle. And I think I'm in the neighborhood of four thousand runs since 2002. Wow. So it all comes down to you know, tunnel vision and your feel, the, the gyro that's in your head and the Jeep beater that's planted right in the seat of your pants on how you feel going down the racetrack. So we, uh, 
to make the most of everything. So you, you know, the bike's accelerating to 165 miles per hour in about four seconds, and it's amazing what can go through your head in that amount of time. I mean, going through second gear, third gear, and fourth gear, you can feel if it's a little weak at the bottom of the gear and it's not accelerating as good as it should. So that either relates back to slipping the clutch too much, or maybe it's just the wrong fuel and timing setup in that part of the gear. And then, you know, notably like this past weekend in Sonoma when I won first round of eliminations, the fourth gear power pole was very, very strong at the top of fourth. And then when I went up for second round, it didn't feel as good. So then you go back and compare notes from fuel and timing setup in fourth gear, specifically from the midpoint of fourth gear on up. And then you can make the corrections for the next round based upon those those seat of the pants feelings along with overlaying the data. So, you know, it's, it's tenths of a second that you can analyze everything that's going into those runs. And then your head, your you know mental data recorder, is, uh, you know, I use it for probably 75% of my tuning, and then the data on the computer only reinforces or or throws away that information that's in my head. Incredible. So, Andrew, you're on a machine that's capable of 200 miles an hour. Um, you're straddling this thing. What exactly is this thing? How many cc's are we talking about? What, you know, how fat are these tires? What? How is it different than what we know as a street bike how big a machine are we talking about here? Well, it's definitely a race bike that's built to go 200 miles per hour. You know, it's not built like a standard uh, stock sport bike or a stock cruiser would be built. Um, it's, it is designed aerodynamically and, and functionally in the geometry of the chassis to be able to attain those speeds. So uh, the bike weighs about 450 pounds by itself. Uh, we do have a minimum uh, bike and rider weight that we have to achieve after the run, so after we give fuel and uh, we go across the scales, we have to be at least 640 pounds with that's bike and rider, which is different from a lot of motorcycle series around the country. Typically, it would only weigh the motorcycle. But in drag racing, the, the total weight is, is key to you know consistent acceleration. So if you're going to have a bike weight only, you, you would have a bunch of little tiny horse jockeys out there riding these motorcycles because they'd be trying to get the lightest rider possible. So to maintain equality between... Uh, you know, men and women and young guys and old guys and five-foot-tall people or six-foot-tall people. It's, it's total vehicle weight with rider. And uh, it's got a 10-inch wide Mickey Thompson slick on the back, a uh, 27-inch diameter on a 16-inch wheel. Um, that thing is capable of hooking up and getting these motorcycles to move in the first 60 feet in relatively, you know, right at one second flat. Like a, a good 60-foot would be, would be 1.03 seconds. And it's, uh, you know, it's pulling three and a half Gs off the starting line and maintaining that for about 100 feet. Um, That's like a jet. One thing, we do, we, one thing we do, though, is uh, we spray adhesive on the seats. You know, we, we're sitting on there in leathers, and on our carbon fiber seats, we spray uh, like a tacky Super 77 spray adhesive on there. Just for that little extra reassurance that you're not going to fly off the back when you throw the clutch away. <laughs> Mark, Mark's, Mark was just smiling because I think he, he literally thinks he should... Uh, See if he can acquire some of that adhesive for his uh, Honda Accord. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, on some mornings, that thing really rips. I I'm going to look into the adhesive for that. Uh, so, so my Accord is fast, yeah, by the I'm way. Sure it is. It's really sure fast. It is. It's not It's not 200 miles an hour, but I'm just saying. So, you know, when I, Andrew, is it a mistake for me to think about this motor on this bike in terms of CCs? Is it that kind of thing, or is it something completely different? Uh, for the size of the engine, yeah, is that what you're saying? yeah, oh uh, yeah, it's uh, CC. It's well, it's it's limited to 160 cubic inches for the NHRA rules, which been around for nearly 20 years for that size. 
60 degree V twin, so uh, it's 2620 cc. So it's a, uh, a 2.6 liter two cylinder. Holy smoke! <laughs> it's definitely uh, not for the faint of heart. The no. motor makes uh, nearly 400 horsepower, revs to over 10,500 RPM, and makes about 250 foot pounds of torque. So it's a uh, it's an absolute beast. Um, and we're lifting the valves well over an inch, and you know valve spring life is key in these things. That's probably the weakest link in the entire engine, just because you know, you're throwing around an intake valve that's larger diameter than a Coke can, and wow. it's turning 10,500 RPM. So it's uh, it's doing some major work. Hmm. Andrew, talk to us about electric. What, what what do you see this creating a new segment? Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I think uh, electric and drag racing is out here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a a fairly small niche market in drag racing because drag racing is such a sensory overload type experience. You know, you get out to the drag races and you hear the nitro cars thunder down the racetrack with their 100% nitro, or uh, you hear the RV twins roar down the racetrack, which is pretty surprising considering the size of the vehicle and the amount of sound it puts out. NHRA has been uh, dabbling in uh, an electric Copo Camaro that's been racing a few races this year, and it's a different deal, you know, for the for the techie, you know, engineer geek guy like I am. It's it's cool because it's something different. You hear it rip, trying to rip the tires off, which you wouldn't hear on a on a um, internal combustion engine. But it's also it doesn't have that sensory effect. You know, it's just going down the track. It's quiet, making this whining noise. It's, it's very different, but. Uh, I think drag racing is here, here to stay and strong with uh, burning gasoline and nitro. Well, we love gasoline. There's we no doubt it. about it. I love gasoline. love everything about it. I love the sound. I love the uh, – and when you mentioned the sound that comes off these, you feel it in your body. I mean, yeah. you're sitting in the stands, and you can feel the vibration in your body, which is which is part of the experience. Of part of the being experience. The, yeah. No question. Mark, you, you keep on uh, trying to chime in here. Go ahead. What, what's, well, what's I mean, you said that you love gasoline, and I think our listeners and Andrew ought to know you love it so much that you dab it behind your ears in the morning after you shave. I, I would do that. Well, I, I'm, I'm not against that. I know that you do that, and I just, just you know, that's how much you love gasoline. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, you're, you're, you're going down this track at 200 miles an hour. Uh, you've blown your competitor up. Uh, there's one little bit of business uh, left, right? It's like stopping. How does – what do you do – to 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 bring this machine down. I mean, you guys have parachutes and stuff like you know, like you know drag racers and all that stuff. We do not have parachutes on our motorcycles. Uh, some of the top fuel Harley guys they've implemented parachutes, little tiny drone shoots that that shoot up off the wheelie bars at the end of the run. But uh, us going 200 miles per hour and our motorcycle being significantly lighter than them, we can still get it stopped pretty good with front brakes. But there's uh, you know we have, we do have rear brakes which are used very minimally. Uh, you go through the finish line and you, and you grab a handful of front brakes. Uh, it, it's almost the second art to racing these motorcycles is getting them stopped. Some yeah. of these events are, uh, they vary significantly. You know, we, we're always racing quarter mile, but from the quarter mile to the turnoff, it varies substantially from track to track. It might be as much as a thousand feet different. Like Gainesville, notably, is really, really long. You can almost stop there without any brakes. Um, but you get to a place um, at the end of the season, like Pomona, uh, it's an older track, and obviously California is a booming area, and there's no room to expand. So the, the shutdown area was probably built for speeds well below what we're achieving now. So the shutdown area is really short. Uh, a tad bit bumpy, too, so that's when motocrossing skills come in handy because if it uh, locks the front tire up or something like that, it's like almost like the equivalent of riding in sand. You have to have that uh, ability to know when that's happening and let go of the brake and the front wheel spin back up and get up and get back under control. Jeez. 
Wow. Um, but it's fun. I mean, it, we got two eight and a half inch brake rotors on the front of the, front of the bike. It's only a three inch wide tire, so you don't have much contact patch. But when you're decelerating from 200 down to zero, it's transferring a lot of that weight to the front of the bike, and uh, the contact patch gets significantly larger. So you can actually grab quite a bit of brake. Um, but man, there's there's been times when I've had a brake rotor explode, and next thing you know, you go sailing off towards the uh, the turn, and you can't make it, and you have to go bury yourself in the sand for a little bit. Well, that was leading me to my next question, Andrew. You're as skilled as they come, but has there ever been any examples of things going sideways for you, either from an operational point of view or mechanical uh, point of view that, uh, you know, maybe uh, caused you a little pause? Yeah, there's been a few times uh, I've had brake fade, and it's, I've been close to going in the sand. Uh, luckily, the one time that I did have that brake rotor explode was at a test session in uh, Bradenton, Florida, 15 years ago. And it, it, it blew up about a second and a half, two seconds after I grabbed the brakes, uh, which was just a fail, a, a flaw from the manufacturer on that, that brake rotor. Um, but I was able to let the clutch out, get the motor deselling on engine, and, I don't, and luckily they didn't have like a full-on sand pit, like we like to say, with pea gravel. It was just kind of a dirt runoff, and the uh, bike didn't even get dirty, and I only went in about 20 feet, so that wasn't too horrible. Uh, unfortunately, all the other dramas come from people in the other lane next to me. I had a couple people years and years ago, uh, their rear tire debeated as they were crossing the finish line. Whoa. One guy nearly ran up my wheelie bars, and another guy, he uh, he told me after the run, which I didn't even realize, because since we run blinders on our helmet, we don't have much peripheral vision, he said he could have reached over and patted me on the back. That's how close he was. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, luckily, those, those are few and far between, and... Uh, you know, a lot of people out there now, they, they respect the speed and the ETs that we're running, and they know if they're uh, they're getting close, it's time to pull the clutch lever in and, and not worry about, you know, trying to win that specific round or, or set low ETs that round. It's all about the fail-safe and making sure you're going to keep everybody safe. So, Andrew, uh, we're going to run low on time here, but I, I, a couple more questions. One was the new FXDR. Um, incredible machine. You you raced that in the finals against your teammate Eddie Krawick. And tell me, how the hell did you? Eddie beats you if you if you if our listeners haven't seen this video. Eddie beats you off the line, right? Mm-hmm. But but you beat him in the end. Yeah, it's all about total time from when you leave the starting line. So Eddie had I think uh, nearly a two hundred advantage off the starting line. So. From the time we saw yellow, he let the clutch out first. Um, you know, in a perfect world, our, our best reaction time is triple zero, point zero 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 seconds after the green comes on. He was about 30, I was 50-something. And, you know, after after that, it's all about the tight quality of run you make. 60 foot, you know, how good the tires hooked up in the first 60 feet. And then going as straight as possible. And I think uh, my bike just had that little bit of a performance advantage over his that weekend. We just couldn't quite nail his tune-up, so... From the starting line to the finish line, I ran uh, about five hundredths of a second quicker, and uh, when all that equates out, you know, it's three hundredths of the finish line, which is about four feet. So it's, it turns into tight racing down there at one hundred ninety. Four feet difference. So do you do, just because I don't understand maybe the dynamics of this, you and Eddie, uh, because it's down to the just you know number one, number two, are you folks talk? Are you analyzing, helping each other like? minutes before this or is there a time frame like okay we're down to the finals uh you know we we can't we can't talk we're competitors no i mean the the way we work in our team both of us being uh you know major parts of the crew there 
we make sure that we're giving each other the best aspects we can That's for cool. every tune-up. So in the tra- in the pit area, you know, he might be looking at my data, trying to make his bike better, or vice versa, or I might be trying to just look at his data and help him out to try and get close to closer to my time. We want to put the best uh, performance up on the scoreboard we can for each bike, and we've done a pretty good job of that. But you know, we we work together at the trailer. We talk to each other all in the staging lanes. But when it comes time to put the helmet on, you know, there's no friends up there. We're ready to to rip each other's head off. <laughs> and win that round you know all, all bets are off when you roll up there through the water box uh, I don't care who's in the other lane it doesn't matter if my wife was riding a bike I'd want to win I'd want to beat her and win that round so no different with Eddie we're great friends but uh, fierce competitors that's cool and uh, you, you got two little boys right Rion Declan yeah and I got a daughter too and a daughter Genevieve as well it, yeah. what's her name yeah, Genevieve Genevieve and, and they're all watching you in the stands uh, yeah most of the time um it's tough to get them to the races when school's in session, obviously, but uh, they're always watching on NHRA.tv or uh, or following along online. So they uh, <laughs> they love rooting me on, and it's, it's great having them there most of the races. And it's uh, you know it's making memories all along the way. I bet. Well, Andrew, I know you're a busy guy. Um, we really appreciate your time today, just taking the time out of your schedule. Um, thank you so much for for taking. 20 minutes out of your time to, to visit with us and um, what an awesome um, interview it was really it flew by fantastic Andrew thank you so much yeah no problem guys always enjoy uh, enlightening the, the minds of NHRA drag racing fans thanks for uh, being on Behind the Bars yep thank you guys bye Andrew thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast sponsored by Wilkins Harley Davidson stay tuned for our next exciting podcast check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com